We are all familiar with the long to-do lists, the random challenges that arise on a daily basis, and even a shift in the dynamic within our homes. However, not all of us are able to navigate these things well. Listen into this conversation with Melissa Miller as she speaks on catching life's rhythm, maintaining emotional integrity, and remaining anchored in God because guess what? He cares about them much more than we ever could. You're going to want to take some notes on this one, people. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. Okay, Blenders, so we are in for something extremely amazing. It's going to be a a special recording as far as her perspective. And I brought Melissa Miller in to address the subject because I was going to get in trouble for mansplaining. And I may have the right to a degree to speak on the subject considering I'm surrounded by women, but I didn't want to get in trouble. Um, But I have with me Melissa Miller, she is a friend as well as a mentor for myself and my wife, her and her husband for about a decade, if not a little more. So they are close to our hearts, amazing individuals. She is also co-host with her husband of the Home Run at Home podcast. Um, And I was, you know, blessed to be a part of that as well for an episode. It was a good time. She is also a writer and one of the books that she co-wrote was entitled What Other Moms Never Told Me, and the chapter that she focused on specifically was Mom Guilt, Um, and she is also a writer of her own book entitled Restful Anticipation, and it's about finding contentment in seasons of waiting. And most importantly, she is a wife and a mother of five, and two of which are siblings whom she and her husband have recently adopted. It's been a a little bit over a year that they have been a part of the family. So needless to say, she is a busy lady. Uh, We were just talking about how much character she has built over time. Um, But happy to have you here. Um, Thank you so much for being willing to, to talk to us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. That was a very thorough and well explained introduction. You didn't get anything wrong. I'm very impressed. I, yeah, I pretty I much know up with my life sometimes. So good. I stub up your life. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely welcome for sure. I did. I, I've done some research. I've done some yes. stalking. It's fine. We, we <laughs> love you and your wife so much. And it's been so excited to see how much growth you guys have had over the years and just really coming into your own. And now you have a tribe called blenders. Blenders. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of potentially calling them Shakers, but you know, there's probably a club somewhere downtown somewhere entitled Shakers. So <laughs> that's probably not too appropriate. But Blenders, yeah, I think it I think it works. I've been I've been using it for a little bit. Um but yeah, so we I just briefly t- uh touched on the subject of the recent adoption and I just wanted to take a second to see how that dynamic it's very recent. It's a, again a little bit more over, over a year, right? 
Yeah, they were placed in our home almost exactly a year ago. And then the adoption was finalized uh, in November. So it's been, um, you know, about half of the time as our foster children. And then about half of the time has been officially adopted. Yeah. And for your family and the dynamic of your family, uh, obviously, it's a, a huge blessing. And I'm, I'm sure due to the degree of preparation that's taken place over time, which we'll t- touch on, I can't imagine how just different been great, obviously, but how different that's been for the whole family. Um, how has the, the new dynamic been over the last you know six months officially? I always feel like when you add a new family member, there is that period of adjustment, but I feel like this one is just a lot longer lasting than the other adjustments with adding biological kids, because with biological kids, like you're raising them from the start, whereas when you're taking in foster children, they were raised by other people, you know, depending on how old they are, but mine were older. Um, They're ages eight and 12 now, seven and 11 when, when they were placed with us. And so it's a, it's a different kind of adjustment because there's a lot of unlearning that they need to walk through, you know, as they've um, really picked up some, some habits and behaviors and beliefs about themselves that are just, you know, need to be undone and, uh, and allow the truth to win out for them. And that's taken some time and, um, you know, just continuing to like give myself grace for I'm supposed to feel a certain way, but maybe I don't yet, you know, supposed to feel a certain way, uh, you know, a certain measure of understanding or compassion in, in all moments, but I don't in all moments, you know, so in the same way that I'm giving them grace, I'm also learning how to give myself grace because this is new to me too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and something that you guys have been doing is ultimately this has been on your hearts for, I'm not sure for how long, but I've, known you guys to touch on the subject of adoption for maybe the last seven to eight years. And the degree of preparation has been nothing short of incredible, to be honest, as far as you preparing your marriage, you preparing your home, as well as your children. Well, before this was a sure thing, you would have conversations with them and and walk them through things. Obviously, I don't know all that entailed, but, um, you guys prepared, you did. And obviously because of how drastic the, the change is for everyone involved, you can never prepare entirely, you know, (laughs) or perfectly, but preparation nonetheless set you guys up for the success that's being had and the success, success to come. Um, so can you speak on the importance of, preparation in whether a similar situation or just before taking drastic actions? Yeah. I mean, adoption was always sort of a part of our lives and our vocabulary and our family. My husband was adopted at birth and I was kind of unofficially adopted as a teen. And so we all have like bio family and we have our other family and, you know, adoptive family. We have you know, cousins on both sides. And it's just been something that's been a thing for a long time for us. And obviously we did prepare our kids. I think it was six years total that we waited to adopt. And so it was a long journey of talking to our kids about it, praying about it, them asking, when is it going to happen? And that anticipation and buildup of um, 
the emotional side of it, but also obviously going to trainings all the time, you know, um, doing online classes and in-person classes and seminars and conferences and all of those things that we did to prepare. Um, One of the things I was thinking about, though, is the one thing that they emphasized a lot of this training so that you would know how to respond to your child with compassion when the situation came up. And all of that was really helpful. But I don't think I ever heard enough emphasis on preparation in terms of your community. And that's something I think we've really lacked in the past year is and we're just trying finding our way now into a community of foster and adoptive families. But once you're in it, there's some things you could just never be prepared for. Yeah. And I think sometimes the depth of how hard it is, no matter how big your community is around you, if you don't have people that understand and get it, they're going to think you're the most negative person. Mm-hmm. I'm like glass half full all the time, super optimistic, no, like no rainy days for me. Like I am the most positive person. You know me and you yeah. know about me. I never speak a bad word about anybody. Like I just, you know, I'm just that kind of person. Um, and this season of fostering and adoption has been so incredibly hard that there are things that have come out of my mouth that I never would have said or thought that I would have said. And the the safest spaces that I found have been those other people who have also been in my shoes. They have yep. either fostered or they've adopted or they've been a step parent and they've stepped in when they're raising a child who they didn't raise. Yeah. And Anyone who's been through that understands how difficult that dynamic is and can provide that safe space for you. But for other people, I almost felt like I was met with like um, kind of a like taking the steering wheel of the conversation and redirecting it back to the fairy tale version. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess there's no permission to share how hard this has been for me and my family. There's really no place for that here. And so I just stopped sharing, you know, about the hard parts because that wasn't what people wanted to hear. But now as we've slowly began to build that foster and adoptive community that we should have prepared ahead of time for, I wish that we would have. I wish we would have been able to seek out people that maybe have been through it or are walking through it right now or about to go through it. I wish we would have just, you know, done the research and done the digging to find those people ahead of time so that week one and month one, when we were drowning, we could have had our people to call. Yeah. and the biggest thing that I've realized that we were underprepared for was that community element because we were just having a conversation recently with uh, a man who he's on the other side of adoption. And he was just saying, you know, this is not enjoyable. I, I don't enjoy it like at all, like <laughs> at all. And he said, my hope is that one day when my son gets married and he starts having a family of his own and he starts maturing and growing that we'll become friends and I'll like him. And to a normal person who has not been through these kinds of things, you would think, wow, what a horrible dad. But for me, like that was the most refreshing thing I had heard in months. I was like, thank you for like putting words to things that we just sometimes don't even get our, ourselves permission to feel. And, and it's, it's okay to not enjoy every moment of this really hard you know, childhood that was full of trauma and full of, you know, the ramifications of someone else's choices towards them that you're still, you know, experiencing the aftermath of every single day. Like that's okay to admit that that's not enjoyable. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. It just means it's really just not an enjoyable season. And hopefully there will be a season to come that will be a lot more enjoyable. But I think that community 
is vital. Like if we could provide what you're doing to connect other blended families with each other and so that they have a community to reach out to, to when they're in that season, that hard season, they just need people who get it. They just need people who will give them that safe space to say like, yeah. it's really hard and it's not a fairy tale, you know? Absolutely. It's a situation that feels alienating, you know, um, when you can't relate to people or when you do relay those thoughts, feelings, ideas um, that are not so pretty. And people look at you like you're a psycho and you hate the people that you care for. And it's, it's just not the case. It's just sometimes we need to verbalize or express some of those inner feelings, whether we are celebrating because celebrating with other people is very important, but also expressing the frustration. Um, So as far as your preparation was concerned and is concerned, there was, sounds like there was a ton of information um, that you received and all of which was vital and you're practicing that, but then the firsthand experience, like seeing it up close and personal within a community is also something that's important is, is what I'm hearing. And I feel like there are a lot of people making significant decisions and maybe it's not adoption, but maybe it is a couple cohabitating and they're thinking about moving in together or something like that. And they don't necessarily have any guidance or a community to kind of speak into their situation. A lot of people are making some very big decisions privately. Um, and that can end up very detrimental. They can. Um, but that's amazing that as far as the absence of the preparation that you guys did, however, how do you think things would be if it was just essentially stumbling into adoption kind of blind? Yeah, I think if we wouldn't have prepared, then we wouldn't have those truths to go back and anchor ourselves true to mm-hmm. the truth is their brain is wired differently because of what they've been through. The truth yeah. is they're developmentally behind in some ways. And so even though, you know, my youngest son, he's eight right now, um, emotionally, he's not eight. And remembering that he's at a toddler level, even though he doesn't look like a toddler, some of those things in the training that we, we like understood from like a mental health perspective, I just think we're so invaluable because it allowed us to remember and to have compassion and to kind of lower the bar in a sense of what our expectations are for, you know, these kids, like we can't expect them to be at the same level that our other bio kids were at, at that certain age. And so helping us lower the bar, helping us to have compassion, uh, definitely, you know, couldn't imagine like without that. And then we did something called TBRI, which, you know, is all about like connection based parenting. And that was invaluable just because it gave us some really practical tools Um, you know, giving the kids redos, you know, opportunities to not always get it right the first time, but how about a redo? Why why don't you go ahead and do that again? So I'm not jumping to immediately to consequences and punishments and all those things, but I'm just giving them opportunity to, to be a part of growing and being in process and learning and, you know, trying to get it right. And so some of those practical elements, I think came in really handy, you know, when we just felt like we were in over our heads. Yeah. That's awesome. The redo is necessary. If we take our, if we take ourselves for our words and our experience, then we're kind of screwed, let alone these little kids that are just processing the world. 
<laughs> that are fairly new. Um, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so as far reduce in my life, <laughs> <laughs> reduced. <laughs> um, so as far as like the relationship, obviously the marital relationship, it it is the foundation upon which the family stands. And when it's not strong and when there's struggle there and when there is disconnect, it only reaps more struggle and confusion um, for really everyone in the home. And you guys, both you and Brandon introduced us to the book, uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And that spoke to you guys and you guys got to know yourselves a bit more, got to know one another and how you can do relationship better. So to speak on that, when your love languages, when your love language isn't met necessarily, um, what are some of the outcomes that you experience in response to just the absence of being met where you want to be met? Well, I think one of the things that we've done and realized is that your love languages can change depending on what season you're in. And that wasn't something that we realized at the time. So even though he may have thought he was meeting my love language in a certain season, what I needed to identify and communicate was, oh, wait, it's not the same right now. And so because we've been in such a season of survival with taking in these kids and just trying to find our new norm, not to mention all of the changes with COVID, the pandemic-related changes that kind of had a domino effect for everybody, you know, just realizing that, no, I don't need gifts in the season, like, at all. Like, I do not. Like, I used to back in San Diego. Like, I loved a good gift. Like, I loved, you know, the presentation of a good gift and unwrapping, and they were thinking about me ahead of time, and I just don't care at all right now. (laughs) At all. I need time, undivided you know, time to finish conversations alone without kids around. I need uh, more touch and more words than I did and acts of service and gifts. I just don't care about at all. And so I think it's good to like first identify it for yourself. Like, Hey, I'm in a new season and this is different than it was in the past. And are my love language still the same? And if not, I need to communicate that because otherwise you're going to be trying to speak a language that's just not working anymore. So for me, it's just, first of all, identifying like what's working and what's not working. And if it's not working and he's making an attempt, it might be like that dialect of that language. You know, it's like he used to like give me gifts, but he wouldn't wrap them. And so for me, part of the surprise and the exciting part of it was the wrapping of it, the, you know, the, the presentation. And so that was a a time when I just needed to communicate like, Hey, can you just change the dialect a little and like wrap it? That would be, that would be. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So you brought up two really important things um, for as far as relationship and how to do relationship. There's the identification portion. There's the private moment that you have where you can kind of pause to realize what things may have been, but what they are right now. Um, and then there is the communicating of the need or the change that's transpiring. So how do you, how do you come to that place where, because one of the things that I am out of fondest, is that a, is that a term I am very fond of you concerning is your ability to pause and do the deep thinking. Um, you are not one to just let words fly out of your mouth. You're not an impulsive individual in areas of importance. So how do you come to a point? How do you exercise the pause 
in your personal life? That's such a great question. And I think it goes back to rhythms, which rhythms have been life-saving for me in this season. And that was something that I realized maybe like a month or so into them being placed in our home was that I had done all this preparation, but as soon as they were in our house, it's like all my rhythms went away. Like we were just kind of surviving and trying to like figure out how many groceries we needed and what we were going to make for dinner. And then we all got COVID the first week, which was awful. And we were all in quarantine. So obviously our normal rhythms were totally off anyways, but it took me a while to realize like, wait, the things that were life preservers for me before, like need to be back in place as life preservers. Like date night needs to be on the calendar every Friday night. Like we need to keep that as a priority. Um, and just little things helped me keep, always keep looking forward to something for the next day. Like, okay, Sunday is pizza night. I don't have to cook on Sunday nights, you know? Um, you know, Friday is date night or Sunday morning is church or, you know, um, on my commute to and from work now that I am back in, um, full-time work, that's my time for like prayer. And, um, I just turn on worship music and that commute is my time to pause. And so whatever your schedule looks like creating those rhythms that help you stay a whole in your soul, whole and healthy and to have the time to push pause and to pray and to reflect and to examine and to ask those questions like what's working and what's not working. I think it's not something that you need to do periodically. I think it's something that you need to do regularly. You have regular rhythms in your week that allow for you to have those times that you need to have. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm too busy and they make so many excuses, but I would say you're too busy not to. You're too busy not to have those times to reflect and pause. And, um, you know, it's just so good for your soul to be able to do that. And your kids need a healthy you. They need a a you that's um, prioritizing you and your soul. Yeah. Very good. Very good rhythms. And as far as the need, you kind of hinted toward it a bit. But what you needed from Brandon, your husband, as mom versus what you need from him as adopted mom. And obviously that's not the term that you exercise in your home, but I'm assuming that the the need is different because of the rhythms being off because of the dynamic being something almost entirely different than what it was before. So do you recognize what those needs may be um, versus what they once were? Yeah, definitely. I think especially because we didn't have that community element of foster and adoptive families. And we're just starting to kind of scratch the surface with that. But we both realized that we needed to be each other's safe place. Because in moments when he was super, like having a moment of venting, I might try to like fix it or minimize it or, you know, bring the glass half full perspective and, you know, think about the bright side. And that's, that wasn't what he needed in that moment. And then I realized there was actually moments when I was needing the same thing, when I was just needing to say like, Hey, uh, this is really frustrating and really hard. And I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to tell me that it's going to be okay in five years or 10 years. I just need you to be there and be my safe place and a a judgment free zone for all the words, you know, for all the feelings, just provide that judgment free zone, you know? 
So definitely have needed that more from him than, than any other season. Yeah. And recently Margo, uh, she recognized the fact that she operates in the life of my niece, who we are guardian over, uh, as a stepmom. And that kind of comes off as some basic information, but at the same time, it's, it is fairly jarring and it's a different thing. She calls, she calls me Papa, which my brother's not a fan of. We're going to have problems when he gets out. But she refers to my wife, Margot as auntie. And it just creates this, this dynamic where I know what it means to function as a stepfather, because that's literally what I am. And then she, like, we can relate to each other in a way that we could not before. And to function as one another's safe place has been crucial for us, for all the words, all the feelings. And then from there, there is the reminder of who we are and what we've been tasked with. And then we leave those conversations oftentimes encouraged and all the more on the same page because we know what's going on. Yeah, it's so true. It's very unifying. You know, you might not be able to solve the issue at hand or solve the behavior of your child right away or the the situation that's going on that's frustrating, but at least you can walk away knowing like, you know what? I'm happy that I'm spending the rest of my life with this person and that one day all the kids will be out of the house and we'll get to have some fun, you know? (laughs) And uh, I love parenting. I do. I really do. But in those moments of frustration, you kind of need to know that like one day you will be up and you like this person. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to remind yourself of who your favorite person is. And, and then we, I, we oftentimes remind the kids, Hey, Hey guys, we like each other a lot more than we like you guys. <laughs> and you need to be okay with that. You need yeah. to accept that. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's it's a thing. Um, so back to the the marital relationships and staying on that, as far as, you know, things are getting a little confusing these days as far as what marriage is, what the things that pertain to marriage, like how it's defined, blah, 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 and the roles in which we function in husband or wife. And you've obviously supported, you've experienced your own stuff. You've supported a ton of families and wives specifically. And from what you've experienced or what you've seen um, through supporting others, what are some misconceptions that you see functioning within the marital relationship from the perspective of a wife? Um, I think that the whole spiritual leader thing gets a little confusing. Um, in terms of like, well, I need my husband to be the spiritual leader. I need him to lead. I need him to lead. I need him to lead. Mm -hmm. One of the things we've had to realize for ourselves and realign for other couples is that leadership looks all kinds of different ways. And there isn't one kind of personality for a leader. And sometimes you just need to let people lead in the best way that they know how. And, you know, we we talk about like, oh, submit, submit, submit. Well, the Bible talks about co-submission we submit mutually to each other. And I think there's just some funky expectations that can come with that, that we've had to help couples through. So he doesn't pray like your pastor prays. Can you celebrate the fact that he still prays? Can you celebrate the fact that he, he, you know, he might not have the words that you want him to have, but can you celebrate the fact that he's trying to give you that compliment or he's trying to, 
you know, I think that sometimes we can be so quick to look for what they're doing wrong that we miss what they're doing right. And when it comes to the roles in the marriage, I think that we need to more so look to what the person is doing right than trying to catch them doing something wrong. And just realizing for ourselves that those roles look all different ways for all different people. And um, just trying to bring out the best in your spouse by encouraging the efforts that they do make. Yeah. Um, in, In marriage, I've seen that we have a weird way of kind of imparting things onto our spouses as far as what we see and how in the capacities in which we see other people functioning, as you mentioned, you know, somebody praying a certain way, somebody doing a certain thing. And then we look at our spouse, a wife can look at a husband and be like, dude, what's up? Like you're on the struggle bus right now. And it really is important to place emphasis on the things that are going well and, and vice versa. Uh, husbands need to recognize our wives as, you know, these incredible people that are putting forth an effort, whatever that effort looks like, just to affirm support. And I, I, it, it really does. The encouragement component is huge because it does tend to be uh, back and forth as far as somebody being up, somebody's glass is half full, somebody is half empty. And sometimes the half empty that can exist for an extended period of time, unfortunately, and it can be a challenging season, but nonetheless, reminding ourselves that this is our favorite person, reminding them that they are our favorite person and affirming the fact that, that we'll, we're, we're going to stay there. We will remain present and functioning in their lives is really important. I think their marriage has become very, very, very serious dating for people. Um, so there is room left for departure. And when that's the case, it tends to, shine a light on just so much more negative than the positive, in my opinion. All right. And then as far as Brandon, your husband communicating needs, husbands struggle. I struggle. Um, Men, whether they are unable to recognize their feelings or communicate them because there is a fear of getting in trouble or strongly corrected. I've been there, done that. That's a daily experience. But when there is the struggle to communicate a need from Brandon to yourself, how do you guys work through that? Well, one of the things we implemented during a hard season of our marriage um, early on was we started setting aside time for those intentional conversations where we could ask like, hey, what could I do better as a wife? Or what could I do better as a, or you know, as a husband, or, you know, is there anything that you need right now? How can I support you? Or like, what, what can I do to lighten your load? You know, we just ask these intentional conversations. We wouldn't do them on date night because sometimes, you know, depending on what they're going through, the answer could get kind of heavy. Um, and we might need to talk through some things or work through some things, but we would do it on a different night, you know, and, you know, once a week turned into once a month. And now, what started out as something that we had to plan and schedule became something that's very organic. We know when not to bring it up and when to bring it up and there's more freedom and we don't have to, you know, schedule that time anymore because it's become so much more second nature than it used to be as we were intentional to schedule the time at first to have those conversations. So now, 
you know, what started out as a discipline is now something that is organic and easy. Um, and not necessarily that means the answer to the questions are easy or the, the conversations are easy, but just, it's easy to bring it up. It's easy to say like, you know, I know that I'm going to be met with a safe place, you know, if I express this need or bring up this question or anything like that. So I think like being in the habit of inviting feedback makes it that much more organic when you have feedback to bring in the future. So we started that and that really helped a lot. But I also think that, um, you know, sometimes you might be nervous to bring up something or he might be nervous to bring up something. Um, And one of the things we implemented when it was that weekly conversation was we will, we will be the safe place for each other. So we're not going to be reactionary when that person, and that was like a ground rule that we made so that if there was something hard to talk about, like we knew that what to expect, you know, we knew that we were going to be a safe place. We were not going to overreact. We were not going to come in hot with big emotions. We were going to really try to be the safe place for one another when those hard things came. And I think that that over time has gotten easier and easier. Yeah. When you had experienced or you do experience those moments where you know something's going on uh, as our wives, you guys know us as well as anybody ever will. And you try to inquire as to what's going on or you extend a hand and attempt to support. But what you get back is not what you expect or it's a deflating response or they're clearly lying to you. (laughs) There is something going on and they're just not being honest. How as his wife, do you, do you handle that um, kind of disappointment? How do you move on and not carry this rejection essentially is what it feels like at times. I think that give us some time to cool off, you know, do what you need to do, go on a walk, uh, take a day or two to process one was my reaction to their reaction a trigger in me that needs to be addressed and what is it that pushed a button for me about what they said or how they said it so first i got to deal with my own stuff right i got to deal with the plank in my own eye before i try to to address the speck in someone else's so i think examining my own triggers um, has been really the biggest thing that I can do to to progress towards wholeness. Because if I have emotional integrity, meaning that other people's reactions and emotions and defensiveness or whatever it is, that doesn't really affect me because there's a bubble here. Like I have got myself whole and I'm not absorbing other people's emotions. I'm not absorbing their reactions. I'm not absorbing their anger or their feelings of, you know, hopelessness or whatever it is, which I used to be such, you know, an empath to an unhealthy degree where I'm absorbing all the emotions of everyone around me. And that's exhausting. No one can live like that. So we have to learn how to have that emotional integrity to, to say like, I'm responsible for my own inner world and no one else is responsible for that. So I'm going to deal with that first. So if, if it does trigger me and my emotional world gets dysregulated for whatever reason, then I'm going to deal with that first and then examine it and figure out what, what it was. Was it the tone that was bothersome? Was it the words? Was it the timing? What was it that pushed a button? And then once I've sorted through that, come back and revisit and say, Hey, like, I think the other day when you said this, 
Like I get what you were saying, but the tone or the context of what you were saying it, like, I just don't prefer that term or that phrase in this context. Maybe it reminds me of my childhood. Maybe it reminds me of this or that. Maybe I've examined the reason or maybe I haven't, but communicating that that's a preference and that that's something that, you know, um, pushed a button for me, you know, that's all we can do, right. It's just continue to communicate our preferences with each other and work on our own inner world in the meanwhile, you know? Yeah, no, that, that is absolutely crucial that maintains sanity and it's a form of support as well. That's awesome. It, it provides room for failure, which men need as, as well as women, but men, oh my gosh, <laughs> we need some room. Uh, so as concerning the drastic changes that have transpired in your family, um, there's probably more than one of these, but is there like an expectation or a conviction that you've had to kind of abandon in order to sustain or achieve a healthy family? I have sort of had to like revisit the whole independent woman thing (laughs) in a weird way because I used to be so independent because again, kind of unofficially adopted, broken home situation, was emancipated, had to do everything myself, put myself through college, like wouldn't ever ask for help carrying in grocery bags. I mean, I just wanted to do everything myself. So then coming in into a relationship with God, coming into a relationship with my husband, learning how to depend on other people um, has kind of come full circle now. Now I'm learning how to have a good independence, a good independence, meaning like I talked about the emotional integrity, meaning I'm not other people. I'm not their emotions. I'm not their process. I'm not their beliefs. I'm my own whole person. Mm -hmm. And that interdependence that is a good, healthy thing I can ask for help from my family in ways that maybe I didn't in past seasons. And I was just telling one of the kids the other day, I was like, I expected to be the mom, the parent of this, these kids, but it's been more of a team effort than I ever realized it would be. I'm having, especially having to go back to work, which I didn't expect to do. I thought I was going to like, you know, homeschool all the kids and I had this plan and it just didn't work out that way. And so going back to work, I've had to rely on my kids much more than I thought I would. And they're doing an amazing job, just helping carry the load of housework, helping carry the load of putting the little one to bed at night and helping carry the load of being an example of what it looks like to handle healthy conflict. So many things that I might not be as present Uh, whether it physically present or emotionally available as I thought I was going to be because it's been so much change and it's been so hard, but to see my kids pick up the slack, help and support, and it's been more of a team effort um, has been a beautiful and unexpected um, blessing through all of it is that I'm not in this alone and I, and I do have support and I can't ask for help in a healthy way. Um, so I don't know, that's kind of like a, a, a longer answer to the question, but it took me by surprise. And I think just like learning to have healthy independence and healthy interdependence yeah. uh, has been something valuable yeah. for me. And that really goes to show you guys' effort and just what you've sown into your kids. They are incredible individuals, and that's because of the level of faithfulness and intention that you guys have exercised for the longest time. Like they're really special human beings and they're in a position 
to step up and recognize needs because they're healthy. They're empowered to, to be integral as far as the success of your family. So kudos to you. Like that's a super good sign like this in other situations, other scenarios, this could be the disbanding or the falling apart of a family, but you guys coming closer together and getting stronger as a result, like that is the dream. So you're living the dream right now. Bill. <laughs> you are living the dream. You are too, Jeremiah. You oh, are. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. And your um, kids are also very special and very awesome. And we have a special place in our heart for them. Yeah, they're fun. They're a good time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so to before we finish up, um, you, again, are doing an incredible job. And you're continuing to grow and build that character going from glory to glory. It's it's a thing. It's not the most comfortable thing, but it is a thing. And um, it is very much God purposed. He's all over it. But what uh, as far as what you see is giving you the strength and what will continue to provide the strength necessary for you to function as adopted mom, for you to make that choice to operate in their lives, in that really intimate capacity. I think I uh, talked about the, the independence thing a little bit. And I guess that there comes a point in time when you realize like, and you know this, but it comes a point where it's a light bulb moment where you realize like you really only have so much control over these kids and how they turn out and what they end up doing and becoming and being, it could just totally surprise you. And we've all seen it happen with other people's kids and they grow up and you're like, wow, they're so different from their parents or the way they were raised or they're, they're so different from their siblings even. And I think there, there comes a point in motherhood where there's a healthy letting go. There's a healthy surrender. There's a healthy entrusting them to God and I think that that is something that's really helpful for me. Like I can only do so much. I can only do my best and to put them into the care of their father in heaven who loves them more than I do and trusting that he ultimately is their shepherd. And even when I'm not there to shepherd them, he is. And so for me, kind of this letting go of, and especially as I've had to go back to work, just like trusting that, you know what, homeschool to going back to a totally big swing and adjustment for everybody. But at the end of the day, there's so much, there's so much out of my control anyways on, you know, how the world's going to play out, how they're going to grow up, how they're going to play out, what changes are going to happen for, you know, our family in the future. So I think that that healthy letting go has been really helpful. And uh, one of the things that uh, I have been leaning on is, there's this verse about how God is the upholder of our life. And there's other verses where it talks about how he's the defender of our heart. And that statement right now is something that has become a mantra for me is God is the upholder of my life and the defender of my heart. And when things are hard, that sort of speaks to my present situation and it speaks to my future situation. I, when I feel the need to hold it all together, because often moms do, I remind myself that God's the one that holds it all together. He's the upholder of my life. When I feel the need to, you know, build walls on my heart and get angry or defensive or worried about the future or worried about how it will play out or if I'm doing my best or if I'm doing enough or whatever, I just 
rest and pause in the fact that he's the defender of my heart and his grace is going to carry me through anything that I walk through in the future. So that statement has become something that I just keep circling back to. And I think it doesn't have to be anyone else's statement. You can find your own statement. You can find your own, you know, thing that just anchors you back to what you know to be true when you're feeling like you're, you know, right, trying to hold it all together and you can't. Uh, I think those are the things that have really, really helped me a lot. And that I continue to, to circle back to. Yeah. And can you, final thing, speak on the importance of the anchor? And obviously you just hinted, hinted toward that, but there are so many people where it's just like getting by, just reacting to life um, just day by day. And it's so draining and discouraging and there's oftentimes not the anchor to refer back to. So if you can just say some final words on that. Well, I'm kind of writing a book about it right now. So Hello. shameless plug. Uh, I it's, it's basically just about adapting to change and clinging to a God who never does. Yeah. And I'm hoping to finish it this summer, but it is all about what you're talking about. Anchoring yourself back when everything around you is changing your whole family dynamic is changing. How do we anchor ourselves back to the one thing that never changes? And that's God. Because everything else, if you think about it, everything else really does change. And it's hard. It's really, really hard sometimes. Sometimes we, you know, embrace change, but for most of us, we are resistant to it and we drag our feet and we can't step into the new thing that God is doing in our lives and in our families if we just keep dragging our feet. Um, so we have to learn how to anchor ourselves to the one who never changes. And we have to be able to learn how to welcome change. Otherwise, we're just going to be very bitter and reluctant the whole way through. Um, and I know how that feels. Um, and so my anchor has been um, God and my anchor has been those rhythms that I talked about, making sure that almost every day of the week, I have something that is a rhythm in my life, something you know, whether it's a daily rhythm or whether it's a weekly rhythm, um, we have monthly rhythms too. One of my monthly rhythms is one-on-one time with the kids. And that anchors me back to just a time where it's undivided connection with them. I wish I could do that weekly, but I just can't right now. So I have, I have daily rhythms, I have weekly rhythms, and I have monthly rhythms. And those things anchor me back to the things that are most important. Because when you're in a time, like you said, of survival, of just going through the motions, your mind feels cluttered. Um, you need to be able to take time to examine what is most important in this season right now and how can I put what's most important on the calendar. And those are going to anchor you back to the things that you know to be true and the things that are most important so that even if it does feel like you're in survival mode, you can look back a year from now or five years from now and say, you know what, it was crazy and it was busy, but I did prioritize what was most important. It was always on the calendar. Yeah. Blenders, I had no idea that she's writing a book. This is not a setup. This is <laughs> this is clearly just some amazing gems that I hope you guys have picked up on and can take advantage of. Um, get her book, Restful Anticipation. It is a, a beautiful story in part due to what they experienced concerning adoption. Um, she is intimately and intricately involved in everything that she just spoke of it, right in the midst of it. Thank you so much for, for blessing us with your perspective, your experience, and what you aspire toward. I'm looking forward to the title, whatever that of the book, whatever that consists of, Anchor. Uh, I don't know. We'll, anchored. We'll see. <laughs> um, but again, thank you so much. We really appreciate um, just every word. It was really good, Mel. 
Thank you so much, Jeremiah. We love you and your family so much and uh, so excited about all the progress with this podcast and the community that you're building. And we're cheering you on every step of the way. All right. There it is, Blenders. See you guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.